did you subscribe to my email list? That's awkward. Okay. I just put one out today, but you okay. won't see it. So. That's okay. Maybe one day I'll subscribe to your yeah, email list. But sure. until then, episode two. Episode two. Bryce Campbell. Welcome to the me. show. Thank you. It is uh, a pleasure. Yeah, it's here. it's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah. Um, you know, you are the first guest that's not one of us bushwhackers that we've been able to do this with. That's a lot um, of pressure. So it's a great honor for you. It truly um, is. But I think this will be a lot of fun because it kind of is the culmination of what we really want to do, mm-hmm. which is connect with people not just in our own community here in salt lake but with everyone you know you are from out of town you're staying here for a little while and we get to really hang out and connect on a more personal level and you know this is kind of a fun extension of that and to get introduced you to a lot of people yeah it's definitely been awesome it's great to actually meet the people i talk to and communicate with um through instagram and it's been a great vessel for that really yeah, so I'm excited for this. Um, I know everyone's going to probably really enjoy this episode with you, especially because a lot of people out here in Salt Lake or the West may not quite know who you are yeah. since you're not from this area and not doing all the things that we do all the time. Yeah. So it'll be good. Um, I think the first thing that I'd like to have you get, get into is just tell the people listening at home um, you know, who you are, where you came from, all people that gonna stuff. People are going to listen to this? People are going to listen to it, and I think they'd be really interested to know you know, where you came from and well, how we got to this point. I am from Charleston, South Carolina, which is easily my favorite place in the world, and I've been a few places, but from Charleston, born and raised, and uh, you know, a little bit of history. I only picked up photography maybe five years ago or so. It's like pretty new, but I was homeschooled from the second grade forward all the way through high school, which is good because I am bad at school, really bad at school. So if I was not homeschooled, um, I would not have stood a chance at all. But that gave me a lot of free time to kind of pursue my own activities, a lot of which are outdoors, especially in Charleston, a lot of water stuff, surfing, swimming, drinking water, all the water activities you can do. And uh, from there, it really just took um, some character-building moments, and I needed an escape, and then I picked up a camera. I actually worked at Target, which you get a 10% discount, which is... That's that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That saved me about $9 on my first camera. And, uh, yeah, that's... That's where I'm at. And then before, um, I'm one of four. I have a younger brother, or I had a younger brother who passed, and then I have two older sisters. So always uh, someone to go out and do stuff with, hang out with. So Yeah. Now, were your siblings also homeschooled? They We all started homeschooling at the same time. We're all you know relatively close within a year or two of each other. And for me, it was a second grade. I don't know how old my siblings are, so it was all at the same time. Hey, yeah. And that's okay. Um, I hope they don't listen to this. I'm sure they will. We'll make sure we push it to okay. them. But so you're only 21, and for a lot of people, that's the time that you know they're going off to school, uh, yeah. university, going to classes, and working on a degree. 
you have chosen not to do that. My first question with that, do you think any part of your upbringing where you were homeschooled played into that decision to not go to college? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, probably the biggest supporters or the people who pushed me most not to go to college were my mom and dad. Um, my mom was my teacher, hands-on. A lot of homeschooling, that's not how it works. You actually aren't really homeschooled. Like, you are taught by someone else. But my mom really homeschooled us, and she saw all that. So I think she knew instinctively I would not do good in college. And uh, my dad, the same, which was fantastic because there's a lot of societal pressure to go to school. And uh, it's very easy to fall for that, especially when you're young at 17, 18. And I did go and tour Clemson University back home, and it was a disaster. I remember I was in the meeting with the counselor or the gentleman who lines up what classes you need and such. And I actually just froze, and I stared at him. Kind of like we were across a desk pretty much like this. This is actually giving me flashbacks. And I uh, had no idea what to do. And then thankfully I was there with my dad, so he kind of stepped in. And I don't remember what we talked about at all, but I remember we went to a Zaxby's afterwards. And I was like, I'm not going to college. I can't. And honestly, I don't know how people apply to college. I don't know how you get, like, a dorm. Like, I don't know how you get your furniture to college. I don't know any of this stuff. So it's really for the best that I didn't. But, yeah, my parents were the biggest supporters of it, which is great, because otherwise I probably would have fallen into that trap. Yeah, so you knew... Like, right away, that was not for you. Oh, I knew before that, dude. I knew when I was probably 12, man. Like, I remember, and not to get all sappy here, but I remember sitting down doing math, like multiplication tables, and just sitting there, like, crying, dude, at the dining room table, and it was bad. And, which is ironic, because my carpentry work, I need to know math, but I don't know math at all. Um, as long as you know fractions. What are those? <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was, I knew from a very young age it was not an option. And even through that, I still pushed myself to make it an option. And it was, was always stuff, you know, well, you can just go to community college and, you know, do a year or two and see how it goes. But yeah, I knew as soon as I was conscious. I was not going to college. Yeah, and I think that's good, you know, that you realized that and you didn't fall into the pressure of feeling like you had to go. Because, I mean, even for a lot of what we do, you know, we go out, we shoot. If you're making a career out of that, you don't necessarily need to go get a degree. Yeah, very true. You know, you just need experience. And yeah. so if you, being, you know, 18, 17 at the time, knew you didn't want to do that, you could spend more time gathering that experience at a younger age and kind of get ahead of the game yeah. in a way. And it's funny because at the time I had no idea this is where I would end up. Uh, even a year ago, I had no idea that, you know, Bricey Travels would become a thing, a business. But I knew the camera was always an outlet for me from that age. And at the time, obviously, I had a lot of stress and pressure. Like, you got to figure out your life, which is not true. You don't have to figure out your life. Nobody knows what they're doing. But I had a lot of free time. I did go and shoot, and it kind of ended up with, building up that skill set, figuring out how it all works. And, uh, yeah, during that time, it was never never crossed my mind to do photography or anything of the sort. I worked at Chick-fil-A. I managed a kitchen, 
which was pretty insane at 17 when everyone's like in their 20s. And then I worked, I went on my first little trip out to the Alps. I worked like 80 hours a week saving up for it. A few thousand dollars, I went hiking through the Alps and that's when it really hit me. Like I need to go outside a lot more. Mm -hmm. And I already went outside a lot, but it's very healing in a way. And then I got back from that. I had some money saved up still, so I just took a year off. Then I ended up working at a surf shop back home, and uh, that's really when it started at the surf shop because you're surrounded by a ton of people who are a lot older than you and show you that it's really okay to be clueless, and it's okay to have no idea and there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone's figuring it out. And uh, it's also a lot of people who didn't go to school. Yeah. So you're kind of immersed in that culture. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and that's good. You know, like I said, I think, like you mentioned, a lot of people do feel pressured to do that. And like definitely. even myself in my day job, like I did not necessarily go to school for exactly what I do. Yeah. And, you know, I'm working there, but... You know, I was I understand I probably got the job partially because of my education. Absolutely. But, you know, for a lot of things that you want to do out there, you probably don't need to go to school. Yeah, for sure. And in my case, it's kind of hard to lay out like, oh, if you don't want to go to school, here's what you do, because it's kind of one of those things where you just have to take a leap of faith. And I'm very young, could all not work out for me. There's plenty of time for that to happen. But I think it will because I have faith in it and because I've taken those chances and everything that's happened since then has been just lined up perfectly for me to end up where I am. And, uh, yeah, it's been pretty amazing. Yeah, that's great. And so, I mean, you've kind of launched into your own career in a way, and I'd like for you to tell us, you know, I guess what exactly it is that you do in your own words, because you kind of have two, I'll say separate lives in a way. One, when you're actually living in South Carolina, and then you kind of take time off every year to go travel and do stuff, and you live and work on the road. So in your own words, like, how would you describe what it is that you do? Um, Yeah, I really do have two separate lives. Um, Back home, carpentry and woodworking is how I fund all of these adventures. And that's really awesome because it's a skill that's highly in demand and I can pretty much dictate who I work for, how much, and what I do, even if I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, And I actually got into that purely by chance. I had a family friend who had a grandfather who needed help putting in some landscaping. I helped him and then he knew someone and he knew someone and he knew someone, which is where I ended up working where I did before now. And so that's when I'm back home. That's how I actually fund all this because a business does take a lot of capital when i'm on the road what was the question like you know what how do you describe what does you do because you have the two different lives yeah yeah so that's kind of my classical job when i'm on the road i would describe it as yeah i uh it's a little complicated i do a lot so i do writing which it comes in very different forms through trail where I write about my truck and such and through Instagram captions and stuff like that. Um, So I don't really know how I could explain it in a sentence. It's one of those things where it's so 
varied. I guess most of it is storytelling. I'm just out there telling a story. Some of that is my story and how I've ended up where I am and where I'm going and stuff like that. Some of that could be the story of the places I go to or the people I meet. Like today, it was the coffee shop and the Indian um, lady who runs it, who immigrated here. Or it could be a place like the town of Salina, Kansas, where I went through the museum and kind of shared all that through Instagram. Or the story of a brand who you know, needs their suspension products for a tundra to get out in front of people. So I guess the overall theme would be I just tell stories. Yeah. So of your brand, you know, Bryce C. Travels, with everything you do, is there any kind of underlying theme or mission that you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, it's so strange because there is, and all these different aspects kind of move in that general direction. But the mission statement for Bryce C. Travels is spending time in God's creation has done a lot of good for me. A lot of good. I don't know where I would be without it. And I think it could do a lot of good for a lot of people and not in ways that people don't even think about and ways you can't even comprehend. So it definitely, that would be the mission statement for it is to get people outside in nature and to find that, that peace and wholesomeness that you get there. Yeah. So you said that kind of was inspired by your trip to the Alps and Mm -hmm. getting to hike up around that area. Uh, First question, did you have a camera back then or no? That was pre-camera. It was all on my iPhone and JPEG, which is unfortunate. So, so, and that's totally fine. But can you take us back maybe to that moment that you realized this is what you wanted to do there? Like when it hit you, what did that moment feel like yeah so it wasn't even a moment of i want to take pictures it was just a moment of there's a lot to see and it's really grand and i need to spend time in it like i need to go there um it really had nothing to do with photography at that time it wasn't until i got back but then in that moment it was like i hiked up to the matterhorn base camp and you're staring over like the valley and the lift and all this stuff and I was just like wow I want this like peace in this in a way it almost makes you feel insignificant but it makes you feel significant at the same time because you're a part of it so I just wanted to chase that for as long as I could that's worn off a little bit now because I've been to a lot of the places I wanted to go to and that's where it's more so it's not I still love traveling and all that stuff, but it's not just about me anymore. Like, I want to help people. I want to get people outside. I want to tell their story. And, uh, yeah, it all started with that moment. Yeah, and I think, you know, wanting to tell everyone's story is a really great thing. And one of the ways that you can do that is through the photo, yes. video world, the media yes. space. Um, you obviously do writing as well. But let's start with photos. So you came back from that trip only having an iPhone, which I'm assuming you still got great shots just because of how amazing those kinds of places look. Yeah. Like, they don't need to be edited necessarily. Like They just... blind and get amazing pictures. Right. They inspire a sense of awe just by being there. Yeah. Um, But, so you came back. When did you get your first camera? What kind of camera was it? So, I came back, and I ran out of money eventually. Um... I got a job, that job at Target, 
And then that would have been, it was like a seasonal job, so I got it in uh, sometime in the fall for Christmas. I don't even know what year. A few years, two or three years ago maybe. And then I bought a Nikon D3500, which is probably the best intro camera you can get. It was fantastic for me. Having It came with two kit lenses, zoom and a little bit wider. And uh, it was eye-opening. It's really amazing how you can kind of see the world so differently through a camera. It's really amazing. Yeah, and like... as you start shooting more and more, you start to notice life in a different way. You notice how light yeah. shapes the mountains or yeah. the plains, whatever it is. You you see clouds, you see color, and like you actually start seeing the world through the frame of your camera. Yeah, it's something I've actually written about it before in a caption, like a few months ago, probably. Which is strange how it stuck with me. I guess it must have really resonated with myself, but it was about that exactly, which is in some ways the world through a camera is so idyllic it's so perfect and whole and in a lot of ways it is as you know the creation should be um but it was something that uh just kind of rolled into itself and that's really honestly i couldn't even explain it it just started with that camera and the rest just kind of happened but it really started with seeing the world like so perfect and in all my pictures that's kind of I guess the goal for myself is to see the world as I see it in the picture I take which is difficult for anyone but I would like to get there someday yeah I like that and um, you know it kind of leads into my question here about like how do you find your creativity in in the photos you're trying to make and i want to give you an example first so you recently had posted a photo of wherever you were i forget at the moment but it was really just your shadow on the ground uh yeah and you tagged bushwhackers watching it of course Um, but like that's a photo that i would almost never see yeah and so my question is like when when you're out there in the field doing what you do how what goes through your mind when you see something like that why did that catch your eye uh truthfully and anyone who i have shot with such as yourself probably knows i really go out with no plan at all which is not how a lot of people do it not how the majority do it i would say but yeah like with that one specifically and i guess kind of overall it's really just so set on the emotion I'm feeling at the time. So it's so distant and strange now, but in the moment I was feeling, I couldn't even say, but it might've been like, maybe this is, you know, not really like what I'm doing. Like maybe this is all like imposter syndrome or something of the sort. And uh, then I remembered a picture I took of my truck, excuse me, having a shadow up in the Rockies, and from there, it just, like, spawned the whole caption in my head, and that's kind of where it all... And you just run with it. I just run with it. There's no <laughs> planning. There's no... Honestly, I try to keep my thought to a minimum. Yeah. I really do. The more I think, the worse it goes. So so if I ask you how you try to pair 
your writing with a photo. Is there a process there at all? So, there is. Um, I have a lot of... I feel emotions very strongly, all emotions. Um, And there's a lot of times where I'm feeling something good, bad, anything of the sort. And I have a picture in my head that I remember taking and it kind of plays off each other the emotion inspires how I work with the picture and then the picture I kind of keep it up on my side when I'm writing and I just kind of look at it and it kind of speaks to me in a way so there is kind of that they do play together like that and there's not a real system it pretty much just goes off my head but yeah a lot of time I'll see one and it inspires the other or vice versa. Yeah. So this gets us into what I think is what I'm most looking forward to talk to you about. Because mm. when I think of you as a creator, the first thing that comes to mind is the writing side of what you do. Yeah. And I really appreciate that because obviously on social media, a lot of people, they're just posting, they're trying to push stuff out there. Yeah. There's no thought that goes into it. Yeah. And, and I can appreciate it maybe more than others because I really very rarely I will put that same kind of effort into producing something you are a fantastic uh, writer by the <laughs> thank way. you yeah thank you truthfully um, but like I I just can't do it all the time yeah I don't have the bandwidth to, to do that yeah but you are doing it all the time <laughs> and I think that is a really cool part about what you do yeah um, and what I would really like to know is why you have committed so hard to do that all the time yeah so honestly um i don't know what i would do if i didn't do that um everyone has their outlets and writing for me is everything i ever write is it none of it's fake it's all genuine you know anything i've written is how i'm feeling when i write it and in a lot of ways that's that's great it does allow people to connect to it more and relate to it which is a goal. Um, but there are times where you get burned out, especially when I'm working, you know, my normal carpentry or woodworking jobs. Those do take a tear, and kind of like you were saying, you run out of the bandwidth for it. But the vast majority of the time, I am experiencing the world exactly how it appears when I write it. It's identical. So it's not even something... I really work towards or think about it is one of those things where I I don't know if I have an alternative before I started writing like the I guess I don't even know what you would call them the short stories or the poems or I don't know what they are honestly before I started writing all that I wrote to myself a lot on like legal notepads in my room and I don't remember how it happened, but at some point, my mom got a hold of something I wrote. Maybe I put, like, a little something in a caption on Instagram, and she saw it. And then she kind of just pushed me to keep doing it, and uh, I don't think she ever imagined it would get to where it is, but it... uh all started with something, and I used to do 
something even weirder. Like I would write all this stuff down on a notepad and then I would try to summarize it in a word or two. And then I would make that the title of the image. So on my website, I used to have um, a print shop and all the images were titled. And that's kind of how that came about. But now it's, uh, yeah, it's just rolled into where it is. Right. So, um, I mean, obviously I know you do writing for Instagram itself, mm-hmm. but you do some writing for work too. Yeah. Can yeah, you yeah. go into that a little bit and tell us what you do for that? Yeah. So I do writing primarily for trail, which is one of, if not the biggest Toyota off-road, um, community. And I'm sure many people have heard of it. Trail Forerunner, Trail Tacoma, and now Trail Tundra. And so for work, it's mostly brands approaching me or approaching trail or me reaching out to brands. And they want people to understand what their product is. Um, I feel very blessed because I'm, I used to not be good at explaining things, especially like emotions, but I've practiced it so much. I'm good at explaining emotions and products which is good because that's where money is um but i've done a brand comes to me or i go to a brand and they most of the time it's something like how do you actually what does this actually do or how do you put this on your truck or anything in that kind of arena so that's primarily the work writing there's some pretty insignificant stuff that's very tiny um, outside of that, but that's like 99%. Yeah, and I think another one of the interesting things is that you are a professional writer. Would you call yourself that? Um, I I guess. So I, I mean, gonna... I write for money. So right, yeah. right. So you are a professional writer, and you didn't go to school. I did not go to school. Actually, the only college class I ever took, which was the class where I really realized I would never make it, in a college environment was a community college English 101 class. So that has obviously become crucial and I'm very thankful I was pretty much forced to do it, but no education. It's I'm winging it all. Right. I was going to say, in a way we can almost backtrack on what we said earlier and say that maybe school is important because the one class you did take, the one class I took has become (laughs) <laughs> very relevant <Right>. yes <laughs> which is great um and you know i love to know you know with all the the writing you've done because you've been doing it for a while now yeah in many different forms um how has it changed you both personally and professionally so personally i it's very different to have something in your mind and then write it down or speak it those are two very impactful things. I'm of the belief they do change how your mind functions. If you think something, that's great. But if you say it or write it down, that is you are reading them to yourself. You're believing them. So with all the personal stuff I've written, that's it's almost like I, I'm understanding myself more. I'm understanding how my mind works, but I'm not – and again, in a way, it almost seems like essential. Like, I don't know what I would do without it. I probably would not have a very good understanding of myself. With regards to business, it's one of those things where it's 
it stacks on top of itself because you have to, well, you don't have to, but I write for these companies or trail. And then I start to realize like there's nobody who's actually, I mean, there's very few people almost exclusively at trail who do an adequate job of explaining things. And a lot of the times with vehicle or off-road related, um, anything related in that arena, it's like a forum post from 15 years ago. So there's a very large demand. Personally, like I'm looking for the answers to things and there's nowhere to get them. So there's a very large demand for people to adequately explain things. And the personal part of explaining actually rolls into that because I'm really just explaining stuff to myself. Like how am I installing all new suspension on my truck? Because there's no one telling you how to do that. Yeah, it's like you just putting that whole experience into words. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so could you maybe offer up a couple tips, some advice on how people can maybe start doing a little more writing, like for actual yeah. work? Yeah. So the first thing is you kind of got to figure out what, what you want, what are you writing about? What is your goal? Um, for me, it seemed pretty obvious i have a truck and there's a lot of people with a truck like mine and there's a market for that um a market for components for a truck aftermarket and for instructions related to that and uh that was very obvious for me if you're trying to find that out you kind of just have to find there's something in everyone's life that can be monetized um and writing is a great way to do that you're not going to become a millionaire but if you're passionate about it, you can really tell a good story and it will impact people. I mean, it could be anything from baking to, you know, taking care of a baby. It could literally be anything. So that would be the advice. And then my English teacher, the legendary woman whose name I forget, she just gave me like two general rules for writing, which was one is you just start. Like no matter what you're writing, you just start. Start typing, start writing, doing it. And never publish a first draft. So if you keep those two things together, at least you might have an appearance that you know what you're doing, which is definitely where I'm at in the stage. Yeah, well, that's something we actually talked about um, one of the nights we went out shooting was that uh, when you start writing, a lot of times you have this idea of where it might go, and it just it doesn't come together. Yeah. And it's almost like the process of writing a good piece is waiting and waiting for and noticing all these various little components come up into your yeah. mind and just kind of capturing them very quickly mm -hmm. in a note and coming back later and compiling all of them into a good piece. Yeah, and for me, that's really become really obvious in the last job I had where a lot of it was... Um, sanding pieces of wood and when you're sanding you're really zoned out like there's very little time where you are conscious so some of the some of the stuff I'm most proud of has been little moments where I'm preoccupied and my mind is just just roaming about so I would definitely say one of the best parts of that is you kind of get the true thoughts of what's coming to you you're not filtering anything um, I know you've experienced that, and 
that's probably one of the best things about having a system like that where you can go and be preoccupied. And thankfully, we all have phones where we can just jot down notes. A lot of times for me, it's like literally a sentence, not even. Mm -hmm. It's like five words. And then I go back, and whenever I have a minute, I'm just like, it just takes me back to that moment where I was thinking about it. So Yeah, it's just finding that phrase when it comes up and be like, I like that, and I want to use that at some point, but I don't have the rest of the structure around it to put that piece together. But you come back later, and in a way, it kind of teaches you some patience. Oh, definitely. And it definitely makes you slow things down to wait for a good piece to come naturally and not trying to force anything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's plenty of stuff in my notes that I have from months ago, maybe even a year ago, and it's uh, stuff that I might not ever go back to. But at the time, it was something where I was like, this could be this could be good. And not even good in like a commercial sense of this will be popular because a lot of times good and popular do not match at all. Most of the time they don't match. But good in the sense of like I'm starting to discover something about myself with this, which is really all you can ask for out of like five words. Right. I think I think one of the biggest things that people can get out of writing is to start down this journey of self-discovery. Very much so. That you never even realized was possible. Yeah. Because I know when I have started doing it, and again, I don't do a ton of it. Yeah. But I will do that. I'll do some journaling, whatever. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, you start to notice your thoughts are different. Yeah. It's different ideas and themes come up in your head more. And you s- you can reflect a little bit deeper and more meaningfully on life. And you, you start to grow. Definitely so, and big fan of journaling myself. Like I, my goal for this trip specifically was to do it every day, journal normal, and then do a prayer journal. Um, realistically, that has not happened, not even close. But I've gotten to it like every second or third day, and that's a great way to you really do figure out. So you, most of all, you figure out your thought process, which is probably most crucial. Because thoughts themselves are not worth that much. It's really like how you got there and where you're going. So I would definitely, journaling's a fantastic resource. Like, obviously, no one needs to publish their writing. You know, everyone can benefit from writing. Just write to yourself. What, literally, just jot down your thoughts. Yeah, and I think that's a good point because it's, it gets back to some of the problems we see with social media where it makes you. F- feel like everything you do has to be for a certain purpose yeah. publicly yep. and not just for your own benefit. Yeah. And I think one of the greatest examples I can think of for writing when you say, you know, do it for yourself is my favorite book, Meditations by Marcus yes. Aurelius. Yes. I mean, it's just the journal, the, the yeah. daily diary of the old emperor of Rome. Yeah. And it was never meant to be published. No. And it's a really cool um, thing to see that you know, someone you know, 2,000 years ago was writing this, and a lot of what he was telling himself back then applies to today. Yeah, a, a ton of it. That's actually one of my favorite books, and it's so short. Too. Can you even call it a book? It's like not that many pages. You can knock it out in a day, but that was a big, that was a big influence for me. I read that when I was younger, and I'm sure that's when a lot of like self-realization came in of 
what what I'm doing subconsciously and how I'm processing the world. And that was a big that was a big benefit to me in many ways, but I'm now that I'm thinking about it, that's absolutely inspired my writing. Yeah, because like you see, and this could be in any book, not just that one. Oh but yeah, like you see an idea that's written down, or one that you have written yourself, yeah. and you start to think, I wonder where I could go if I expanded a little bit more on that, yep. or if I started to try and live a little bit closer to yeah. what those words are saying, and then you open up doors to a whole new life. Yeah, definitely, and that's the thing. There's a lot of, a lot of, you know, nobody's really. You're never going to be perfect in any sense, but really the most you can ask for is that you kind of set these goals for where you want to be as a person, not in your career or anything of the sort, but who do you want to be? Like, who do you want people to think of you as? And at least if you're working towards that a little bit, like if you make the most minute incremental changes, um, that's probably something that can benefit everyone but in that same and i'm gonna go off on a little bit of a tangent let's do it there is um a practice called cbt cognitive behavioral therapy have you ever heard Mm -hmm. that is absolutely crucial it was recommended to me and pretty much for anyone who doesn't know you are pretty much just saying positive stuff um not so much manifesting because that's you know fairy stuff but you're actually just working into your brain positive thought patterns. I used to be a very negative person. I used to be very negative, very judgmental too. Like people today, anybody who I've met would be amazed. Pretty much my family is the only one who knows how I used to think. And that was of such great benefit to me. I've completely rewired how my brain works in a lot of ways. I would always see like for instance if I'm on the road and I'm showering at a gym my first thought might have been well everybody's looking at me and I'm a weird homeless guy and I'm disgusting and everybody hates me and that really just stems from the fact that if I was at the gym and I saw a guy looking like me roll in and take a shower for 45 minutes washing his hair those would be my thoughts so when you change the basic functional pattern of your thoughts it completely changes how you view the world and honestly i mean it's so strange to actually say this out loud but i am i'm pretty proud of how far i've come in that regard um in a lot of ways i think i i'm i would like to be Oh, man, I'm going to sound like a hippie right now. Let's hear it. I would like to be everyone's friend in that sense, and I think so much of that just stems from the thought patterns. You can't be someone's friend if you're not your own friend. Right, and I think what you just spoke to um, really gets at the power that writing has and and what it can do to you, the power of transformation, and, you know, how you can really rebuild yourself in a whole new image. Yeah. And in that same light, it's about, you know, building connections inside of you to change Absolutely. yourself, but also to build connections with other people that are yeah. out there when they read your stuff. And so, you know, this is how we noticed you first. Yeah. Kind of, we, you know, we see your work, we see your writing, and 
you know, whether it's just us at Bushwhackers or people in Utah or anywhere mm-hmm. in the country, in the world, like we kind of noticed you because of your writing and how you've gotten to the point you're at in your life today because of it. And, yeah. and so what I'd like to do now is take that as a segue into our, Here we go. into our very first connection with you Whoa. In, in, a, in a more personal sense. Which was your trip to Alaska with our my buddy Kai. trip to Alaska with Kai? Yes, yes. So I would like you to kind of just take us through that because I have tried my best to not hear as much. Yeah, of you've this done trip a fantastic job, by the way, as I can as I could because I want a lot of this to be my real reaction yeah. for the first time. So going back to what I said, Instagram is and I've read about this recently, what you get out of social media is very much what you put in. Um, if you're looking for the positive aspects of it, you will find them. So I honestly, I don't think I talked to Kai, and by talk I mean message on Instagram, for more than maybe like a few weeks or a month before all of this Alaska stuff happened. And... Uh, I saw on Kai's story that he was looking for a fourth person or maybe like two people to round up and do a backpacking trip to Alaska. And uh, honestly, I really had no intention of going, being that I am in South Carolina, which is about as far away as you can get. But I messaged him and said, if you can get people, I'll go. So I had money saved up because I was planning on doing this trip, which I am doing. So I had a little bit of a buffer where I could afford it and take off work. And my boss was very lenient. But it really was one of the most unplanned things I've ever done in my life. Unplanned for me. I'm sure Kai planned everything. But I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, he said, okay, I've got two guys. I'll reach out. And I said, if you can get them, like, I will buy my plane ticket right now, like, on that day. I was standing outside my garage, and I was like, it was raining. If you can get those two guys, I'll buy my plane ticket. And that was the first time, like, we just exchanged phone numbers. That was our first phone call. That's awesome. And I think it's fun to hear that because a lot of what we do, whether it's going down, you know, to the desert on trips, elsewhere, just going on a hike, a lot of what we do with bushwhackers is kind of that exact same thing. We have almost never talked to these people, or we've only yeah. talked to them for a very short amount of time. Yeah. And just through Instagram, you know, we don't yeah. have their phone numbers or anything. And Everything say, your mom told you not to do. Yeah, we just say, hey, let's meet up. And so the idea of doing something like that with people you have never met, and obviously yeah. the other guys you did it with, you've never talked to. You didn't know who they no, were. No, I didn't even know their names. Like That is a very foreign concept to people. So why did you say yes to do the trip? Um, I was really, I was hesitant to do it. And I don't think I banked on it actually happening. So it's easy to say you'll do something when there's a pretty good chance it won't happen. And then it happens. Um, I did not know them. And I at the time, I didn't know any of you guys as I know you now like as personal it was very much just Instagram you know kind of messages and stuff of the sort and uh, I figured well 
if I mean he's got to be like a normal person because he has a lot of like people who appear normal around him and that was about as far as I went with my thoughts and then I started seeking counsel of everyone around me and I kind of left out certain parts because I wanted people to say yeah because it's like kind of get to brag about like oh I might go backpacking in Alaska so I would leave out parts that might be unfavorable such as I don't even know the guy's last name that I'm going with and I don't know if he's even real but everyone said yeah you should go when I left that stuff out so I uh, heard back from Kai and I bought the ticket and it was the most expensive plane ticket I'll ever buy in my life it was it like destroyed my budget for the year um, $1,500 and then he told me I needed to budget some more because we had a bush pilot who was going to fly us into the backcountry. And at this point, I still don't think I knew his last name. But, yeah, I had a ticket to Fairbanks. That's amazing. And, again, like, we can resonate with that a lot. Yeah. Because we do that darn uh, That's why day. I'm here right now. Yeah. I mean, we didn't know you until you came. I mean, we, we had talked on Instagram. But yeah. no. we didn't have your phone number until – you got here. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, the day you got here, you got here at, like, 4 o'clock. Right you were after, waiting. Uh, Your truck was running. Yeah, I, I, my truck was running in in our parking lot at our place. And as soon as you got here, we left to go We shoot. were off, yeah. And, like, that was the first time we'd ever seen each yeah. other. Um, and Literally but, a handshake, and we were off. Yeah, but it makes the whole experience so much fun because, like, you're on the move. you got similar interests, and yeah. you just get to know each other on the fly. Yeah, and I would definitely say, obviously, if someone's listening and they're like, oh, I'm going to try that, like, you have to be a little conscious of who you're talking to. Like, you do. you got to have those signals where it's like they're not going to dismember me in the basement. But, you know, there's always a chance of that. Very minute, but there is a chance. And that does add a little bit of thrill, especially when you're flying into the Alaskan backcountry. Sure. But, yeah, you have to be smart about how you go about it. And uh, then again, that's kind of what happened when I went to the Alps. I didn't know anyone, really. I was just winging it. And at that point, it was like the lowest point of my life, so I didn't really have a choice. But with Alaska, it was, it was not... Honestly, I couldn't tell you why I did it. I have no idea why I did it. Like, but, but you wouldn't ba- take it back. I would not take it back. Yeah, I would not take it back at all. And it's hilarious because growing up, it's always, oh, don't like talk to strangers or anything like that. And then I'm flying to a stranger's place of work in Alaska. Right. It's like, sorry, mom, we're going against all your advice, but yeah. we're going to Alaska. We're going to Alaska. So take me through that whole trip because I, you know, I've talked to Kai about his experience. In yeah. Alaska, but he was there for the whole summer, and so it wasn't yeah. like it was just this trip. Yeah, and I'd love to hear about that that very specific you know weekend that that backpacking yeah. trip from a guy who was kind of just there for the ride. Yeah, and not just you know that was part of his summer. Yeah, no, it was very much one moment in time. The plan was, and again at the time I really knew nothing. Um, it's kind of embarrassing, but. 
I knew we were going backpacking. I'd never been backpacking before either. So I had to, I mean, I had all the stuff for my truck. So I had a sleeping pad and bags and, you know, a backpack and boots and everything. But I did not have any idea what I was doing. So first things first, Kai gave me like a packing list, thankfully. Uh, very organized, as he is. And then I assembled all that. And when I landed in Fairbanks, Kai was staying at his place of work. He was doing a summer job. so And it was not in Fairbanks. It was in Denali, like in the town there. So I had to get from Fairbanks to Denali, which is like, I don't even know how long. I think it was two hours, maybe? Yeah, I'm not yeah. walking there. Yeah. So I had to, I landed, I slept outside the TSA zone in security because I had to get my luggage. I arrived, uh, I don't even know what time because it was a 24-hour sun, so it was light all the time. But I slept on the bench closest to the window next to the drop-off. And there was like a mouse running around inside the airport, kind of doing his thing. And then I got up at like 6 and took an Uber to the train station to ride the Alaskan Railroad, which at the time I had no idea what that was. It wasn't until I got back where people were like, dude, that's like such a cool thing. And I was like, I didn't know that, but yeah, it is. So I took the train down to where he was going, which was longer than two hours. It was like four or five or six. And then I hopped on a shuttle bus. I like walked around the parking lot because I didn't know what I was doing. And then I hopped on a shuttle bus and showed up at his place of work while he was working. That's amazing. Yeah, it was... It honestly was surreal. But after that, we... uh, didn't really have much time. We got everything together, packed up everything, and I mean, he was teaching me what I needed to backpack because <laughs> I just sleep out of my truck, which is a little different. But we flew in with a bush pilot to Cantishna uh, Airport because the road, you can drive all the way in. It's like a day drive, like full eight or nine hours, but the road had a landslide, or it still does, and uh, you can only get there through bush plane which is great because we were the only ones backpacking there. And this is in the park. This is in the park. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like we had the Alaska, we flew up into the glaciers and the Alaskan range and it was. So you basically had like the park to yourselves. We pretty much had the park to ourselves. That's awesome. No, we did. Yeah, we (laughs) did. That's really cool. There was like one guy who was bikepacking, but uh, we got in and Denali is a little bit different because they, you're not supposed to be on a trail. Like they tell the backcountry rangers are like, do not get on a trail. Do not make a trail. You are doing your own thing. So we were bushwhacking um, the entire time and it was exhausting, but it was one of the most beautiful. It might have been the most beautiful place I've ever been. I mean, the mosquitoes sucked and it was cold and your hands were frozen, but yeah, the most beautiful place I've ever been. Yeah. So how many days were you out there? Uh, it was either four days or four nights. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. But and, something like that. And so that whole time you're out in the Denali wilderness, did you see any wildlife? Yeah, we did. So we were actually, where we camped, we could kind of see a lake, and then there was a big river, and then there was the Alaskan range was just wide open. And we actually saw... Um, 
Denali the Peak, which is pretty rare. A lot of people don't get a chance to see that, but we saw it, I would say, a majority of the trip. But we did see some wildlife. No bears, which I was actually bummed about. We were warned about them, and I've never actually seen bears. Um, but would you want your first time to ever see a bear be a grizzly? A grizzly in the Alaskan, Alaskan backcountry? Um <laughs> Probably not, but if it happened and I survived, I'd probably be okay with it. Especially on a on a backpacking trip, on a backpacking where you can't trip, just get home. You can't real quick. get out. Yeah, in a plane's like an hour and a half away. Uh, probably not. So in that sense, it was good. But yeah, I've never seen a bear actually on the road. Only like a few cubs in the Smokies. Um, but we did not see. I don't know what it was. I think it was. And I'm going to sound really uneducated right now, but an elk or a moose or whatever they got there. Um, I'm not good with wildlife, but they had that and it was, uh, there was one in the lake. So we went down to the lake. There was a little dock there with canoes. We went down there and we were hiking back up to our little camp spot up on the ridge. And there was whatever it was, an elk, a moose. Um, I'm from yep. South Carolina. Oh, I don't know. I think, I think, uh, one of our producers, AKA the guy that brought you on that trip is radioing into me now. Oh, is he, he? said it was a caribou. Okay, so I was not even close. Gotcha. For everyone who did not hear that at home, okay. there was a moose in the lake, apparently, but they saw caribou's really so, close. So, yeah, for everyone listening, when Kai comes on the podcast and talks about the trip, you should listen to that. Because he's the wildlife expert. He's the one who actually knows what we were seeing. I'm just from Charleston, South Carolina. So if it wasn't a pelican, I don't know what it was. But it was a caribou? A moose in the water. A moose in the water. And it was like following, we walked, walking back around to our ridge, and then it started following us. And uh, they're big, and they move fast. And, I mean, they can do some damage. So he was really not even chasing us. He was just out for a stroll. But a stroll for him is like a marathon for an average human. So we were uh, trying to dodge this moose while we were hiking back up to our little camp. And it was... I think that was the first time I ever got re- – I think that was the only time I really got scared. And then, of course, Kai's there with his zoom lens. He's, like, standing there while the moose is, like, 100 feet away, and we're like, Kai, it's time to go, man. We got to go. <laughs> That's awesome. And you are with four or five people? Four. So four others, including you? No, 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 oh. just three others. So gotcha. it was me, Kai, uh, and two guys named Ethan and Roman who were great, who I did not – obviously, I knew no one, but they've become friends for sure. And, uh, yeah, one of those things we're winging it, it just works out. Yeah. So tell me about what it's like to go through, you know, four days, four nights in the middle of nowhere, kind of in Alaska with four people or three other guys that you don't know. Yeah. Well, it was even weirder because, um, we were all sharing tents. We had two tents for four guys. So I was sleeping with people I didn't even know. And, uh, it's really amazing how being in an environment like that, it's kind of like your human instinct just takes over, and it's like nobody's going to fight there. Uh, you don't really have a choice. So I think very quickly, I mean, we just bonded real How can you not in a place like that? You're seeing the same rainbows come up and the same mountain range come out of the clouds, and you're eating the same amazing chicken Alfredo. So it's like one of those things – you very quickly, and I'm sure it's different if you got, like, annoying people. I'm sure it's bad. But we had – everyone was so chill and so cool. 
uh, very quickly became friends. Yeah. So of that whole experience, what was the most unexpected part of that? Whether it was things that you saw, experiences you had with the guys. Yeah. What was the most unexpected part? Um, honestly, all of it was insane, but probably the fact that it actually just worked out and like everything, everything lined up. We got out there. The pilot came back when he was supposed to come back, like 10 minutes around the time he was supposed to, but it was all insane. The most incredible part though was definitely just like being there with the guys and having that having that friendship based off that you know we're all jumping into the water and just having a good time and we all smelled terrible hey that's part of the trip though yeah no for sure there's no avoiding that no matter where you go no true and actually they were probably i'm gonna just share the worst part of the trip let's hear it which was the first day we got there and the bush plan had a weight limit and we were very quickly approaching it and we might have been right at it, or I think we might have been like 80 pounds short or something like that, but it was close. So we all packed super light. We didn't pack any water, barely any water for anyone. And we got there, we hiked like three or four miles, and then we started going into the bush, and we crossed a stream, and we're like, no, dude, we don't need water yet, because like we're in Alaska, like there's just water. So we had like pretty much no water, and then we hike another two, three, four miles up on this ridge through the bush, which is just the most difficult thing in the world. And then there was no water the entire time. And so we set up camp on the ridge, and the only water we had was, like, literally, like, two hours away. So we had no water that night, and I've never been more dehydrated, I don't think. But, yeah, the next day we went down and got water, but that night was rough. Gotcha. So you've been back from that trip for a little while now. Yes. Um, you know, you've been in Charleston mm -hmm. at home. When you think back on that trip, or when I say the word Alaska, what is the first thing that comes to mind now for you? There was a time, it's a picture that comes back. We were in the lobby of where Kai worked, and I think this was the first time we actually met and I was like, I booked the flight. I didn't even know where we were going. So I'm like, okay, so where are we going? And he actually, like, points over his shoulder, and behind the front desk of where he's working, there's a picture of this mountain range and a lake, like, in the autumn, and it's, like, golden and clear, and it's, like, one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my life. And that's when it actually clicked, like, holy crap, this is real. So that that image of him, like, pointing at the picture and then me going, I'm going there, that's the picture that comes to my head whenever somebody says Alaska. Gotcha. And I assume you would go back in a heartbeat. I would. Honestly, I want to go back in the winter. Like, yeah. I want to see – I'm from Charleston, so I've never no snow there. really seen snow. I would love to see an Alaskan winter. Um and, like, that permanent darkness for, like, a week. I'll probably regret saying that if I ever get the chance to go and I'm stuck in darkness for a week. But as a concept, it sounds great. Sure. And what was that like dealing with 24-hour sun for those four days? Yeah, that was wild. It's really 
one of, we were a little bit after like when it's at its peak. So we had sunsets and sunrises, but they lasted for hours. So you just got like so many like a rainstorm would come through halfway through the sunset and you would get a rainbow and the burning of the clouds and it was like it was like you had infinite options like if you messed up shooting it it was like still there for like another two hours three hours so it very rarely got dark um actually i don't think it ever got dark i'm pretty sure we could go out at any point and still see but yeah it really trips you up you have to work to keep your sleep cycles going because it is it's impossible to explain, but yeah, just like go through your house and never turn off the lights. That's pretty much it. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. And I think uh, it is definitely, do we have to commend Kai for putting that together? Totally. Uh, I don't even, I don't even know how he managed to do all that. Just absolute foresight to get all of it to happen. And I just kind of threw money at it from my savings and, he made it all work. Hey, some so. of the best money you've ever spent, probably. It definitely is the best money I've ever spent. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I think that really speaks to a little bit of what we talked about earlier, like the power of social media. Yeah. Like, you can bring people together in ways you never thought possible before. I mean, we had never met before this. Yeah. You are not part of our everyday, Circle. regular community yeah. here in, in Salt Lake area. And here you are. You're staying with us for a week or two. Yeah. You know, we're on the show together. And you are very much so now part of what we do. Definitely. You are a real bushwhacker now. And I definitely feel that, which is incredible, because that's obviously the goal with all of that. That's, I guess, the goal with social media is everyone wants to be a part of a community. And uh, I found myself a part of a few communities, which is great. But, again, it goes back to you kind of have to – obviously, it's very easy to get trapped in the negative social media, and there's always talk about that. Um, It just comes down to personal responsibility. You have to be – educated with what you view and what you consume and if you're consuming things that are wholesome and good for you then uh you know that really feeds into your life so yeah and um you know it's a really fun thing because we do talk about having our own little bushwhacker family yeah in a way and even though you will be in charleston and you know back in south carolina at some point soon here yeah, you're all the way across the country, but like you're still still a part of it. Part of what we do. Yeah. You know, like you'll always be one of us now. Yeah. And it's fun, you know. We may not get to go out and do a whole bunch of things together because all the miles in between us. Yeah. But it's like we could very well just call each other up one day, either catch up or like let's go plant something. Yeah, literally it's that simple and uh it really is that I mean there stuff like this is bonds for life, like lifelong friends out of it which is amazing, and uh, it's always great to have a place to shower, too, so I thank you for that. Shower, laundry, that's crucial. Absolutely. The Bushwhacker but, B&B yeah, has, it's been has vacancies. Fantastic. There's no breakfast. That, There's no, but we don't make breakfast. Yeah, you do your own breakfast, yeah. but it's uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah, well, we are very happy that you are here and that you made the trip out and, yeah. and wanted to come do this with us. Well, I'm glad to be here. Um, and so it, it's been a pleasure to meet you and have you on. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap it up, I would love to give you a platform here. And if you could kind of give us one big lesson that you have learned while being on the road that you mm-hmm. think other people could benefit 
from hearing about. Yeah. What would that be? Um, I really do. It's really easy to depersonalize people. So everybody does have a story. Everybody actually has a life, which is something I have learned through traveling, you know, the thousands of miles I do each year. You meet so many people and, you know, I leave, but they're still there living their life. So I think it's really amazing that when you get to, if you have the opportunity, and there's always an opportunity to go talk with someone and understand their lives, just like I did today at the coffee shop, figuring out what Vinny did to move here from India to start her coffee shop in Salt Lake City. Like, that's that's someone who, they she very well might have forgotten about me by now. And in fact, she probably did. But I'm going to remember her story for ever. Like, it's always going to be there in my head. So you really start to get the stories of people's lives, and then it becomes much more easier, much more easier to think of people as human. And I think that's a lot of the, that gives you a lot more flexibility where you can, like, forgive people for stuff, and you can understand where they're coming from. You know, some guy cuts you off in traffic and flips you off. It's like, that's actually a human being with a soul. So it's one of those things, I think, if someone ever has the chance to go out and just talk to people and get their story, that is one of the best things you can do for yourself. I like it. Um, let's, uh, let's leave the people with uh, what kind of projects or things do you have coming up? At, you know, you'll be here for oh, a yeah. little bit, but like, what do you have coming up in your near future here? I have to. some fantastic stuff coming up on trailtundra.com. Um, I don't know how much of it I should share, but a fridge, uh, whole suspension kit, and there's a ton of stuff in the works, you know, new trucks coming at some point. And then I've always got a ton of stuff coming up because I'm going to be in Utah for a while now. I'm going to be here until like, like December. Like a month almost. Yeah, yeah, over a month. I'll be here until December probably. So there's going to be, you know, hitting Moab, hitting everything out here which I did do last year, but I kind of sped through. I'm going to take my time. So a lot of Utah content. And with that, a lot of writing about stuff, just trying to figure out my life. And uh, hopefully that applies a little bit to other people too. That's good. And where can people find you and your work? What's the best place? Yep, Instagram at Bryce C. Travels, uh, BryceCTravels.com or... Uh, I am on LinkedIn. It's always great to have connections there. Bryce C. Travels, Facebook, Bryce C. Travels. It's all the same. So yeah. you can go anywhere and it's Bryce C. Travels. It's even on the white whale. It's even on the white whale. Yeah, uh, it's on the tailgate. It's on the sides of my truck, BryceCTravels.com. Yeah, you can't miss it. You can't. If you're wondering if he travels, he travels. He does travel. He does travel. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you, Bryce, so much. Of course. For coming on the show. It's been this a pleasure. Was, this was great. It's and, been a pleasure. Uh, you know, for everyone at home, uh, we're on YouTube here because uh, this is a video podcast. So go to our channel, like, and subscribe. Uh, we're also on Apple Podcast and Spotify as well for the audio-only listeners. Yes, so, yes. Um, Bryce, thank you so much for of a course. great episode, too. Yes, thank let's, you. for. Let's cheers the let's pink cheers juice. cheers the pink juice. There we go.